Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype, May 9th, 2020. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. Wow. It's a Saturday morning show. Mike O'Donny called in already and has suggested a topic, which I think is absolutely fascinating. So why don't we just... Mike O'Donny, do you have audio? I think I do. Do I sound like I have audio? You sound like you have audio. Raise this topic that you raised with me just as I was starting the show. Okay, the, uh, the topic is one of, in this day and age, we are limited to social media because we can't meet face-to-face. How can we preserve the social capital, the bonding, the glue that holds our organizations together, that if we neglect it, it'll evaporate, and we want our um, our divisions, our clubs, our groups to come together when this is all over, to come back in place and still have some kind of, you know, network, friendships, relationships, dynamics, you know, working relationships. How can we use social media to enhance that spirit? Yes. As as I think about recording weekly model rail radios, I think I'm trying to address some of that in part. Look, my view is that the community will maintain itself through a variety of different mechanisms. I think certainly video calls are stepping out as a way of individuals to, you know, get together and show their work uh, in a very kind of proactive fashion and also encourage others, motivate others um, to utilise this time to do good work. I think certainly talking with uh, Gordy and Luke last recording made me realise that the people who are at the helm of this thing do have serious, I don't know, experimental credentials, for want of a better term. They're willing to test a variety of different things and, you know, potentially drop certain ideas and raise other ideas. I was really very pleased to have the opportunity to tap with both gentlemen last recording and also Tom Gazier, um, the recording prior, because it gave me a keen sense that these are people who are very in tune to learning from their mistakes. And I think that's really critical in this period that people need to, if things aren't working, don't continue to persist with technology that isn't working. He says using Skype, um, instead, you know, <laughs> diversify. There are a wide variety of video platforms. There are a wide variety of uh, means of communicating. And I think what's fascinating through this period is more people get to see what a few of us have been talking about for a relatively long period of time. What is fascinating also is that the within the space, let's just talk about podcasting, let's space for a minute, a number of the podcasts which have historically been highly successful podcasts, maybe business-oriented, maybe humor, what have you, that have packed their shows with ads and other things that people accepted when they were commuting on the train, are not doing so well through this period. In contrast, I'm seeing nothing but an an increase, let's just say, a reasonably good increase in, in downloads. And I think the hobby space, the focused, character-driven, let us say, hobby space, is one that has certainly strengthened through this time. I think it's just an amazing period to experiment, to try a variety of different ideas. There are going to be more permutations. I mean, this was what was really interesting talking with Gordy last recording, is they're using Facebook currently. Facebook may not be the best platform for them going forward. They may look at local hosting. They may look at a variety of different technologies. So, yeah, from an individual perspective, which I think was your question, Mike O'Dorney, my view is start doing, and we have on 
you know, Simon and Martin, they could talk to this as well. Start doing video calls if you haven't already, and then start experimenting with, can you construct a kit through a video call? Can you show a layout through a video call? We've talked a lot in this recording about three-person layout tours where you have a camera person, a person that's kind of giving narrative, and a person that's running trains. That is a luxury in most of the lockdown areas, right? The ability to have three people is probably beyond the capabilities of most layouts. So then we get into a really interesting space. We've talked periodically about computer operation or at least automating some of the operating. So can you remove the person that's running the trains from the, you know, potential group? We also talked a little bit, and and thankfully Gordy was on this as well, the nature of putting webcams up, because obviously, you know, I've got five of these things that are doing absolutely nothing currently for me because I'm in my house. I can defend it nominally. So you now have webcams, you have layouts, you have the ability for people to do live stream operating sessions. And this is something we haven't yet seen to a, a great extent. I know we've had a couple of people on that have some feedback on this because they've done some experimentation. But I think it's pretty well public knowledge by now, even though the noise in the US is very much associated with reopening. Uh, there have been a number of quite catastrophic things that have happened around this. We could be potentially locked down for many months to come. I mean, even though they're making noise associated with reopening, that noise has been metered with substantial increases in in cases. So while the states might try this thing, I think most of us are probably going to be locked down for considerably longer than we ever originally anticipated. So I think there's still plenty of time for experimentation and plenty of time for, you know, just testing things out. What What are your thoughts here, Mike? Well, I look at the whole situation. Like you say, the ideal case is to have a layout tour with um, one person filming, one person running the trains, and one person narrating. Now, what you can do is you can eliminate one of those people by essentially filming and running the trains and then do, doing the narration after you, you, you edit the video. In other words, edit the video first and then send it back to the layout owner and have him narrate his his layout tour. So it creates a space problem into a time problem where now you've, you've at least eliminated one of the two. And I think that if you have to uh, videotape and run trains, you've got two hands, and you might have a fighting chance of keeping the, uh, the camera and the, um, the layout working. Uh, maybe it's time we uh, came up with a foot pedal control for layouts where he, you... He was... Uh, he was- Gordy's thought about that, and I appreciate you didn't hear the conversation, but let me put this to you. Gordy thought that if you positioned the camera at rail fanning points, then ran the trains, moved the camera, ran the trains, moved the camera, ran the trains, removed the camera, a single person could quite comfortably show a layout, and then, as you say, the voiceover is additional. So I think Gordy's blueprint was, and he said this with regards to the webcams as well, that they should be placed at rail fanning points that you can actually film a layout with just a single person if you do, you know, rail fanning cuts, basically, between the various points. So I think certainly he'd thought about this, and I, I similarly had had some thoughts, but he had spent more time actually actively thinking about how people can do this thing. Yeah. Now, um, I don't know if you ever remember the space ball. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It was a mouse-type device where you had a ball that you could use it 
swinging it left and right and front to back like a mouse. But you could also twist it, and that twisting motion could be your throttle. So by moving it back and forth, you would move your camera. In other words, your camera would be on a, a track and laterally move, and then you change your speed of your locomotive by twisting the throttle, twisting the ball. Gordy does have a good point. I mean, having rail fan points and having multiple cameras is another way of doing it as well. I think we're, we're I, well, we are I mean, all... I think you could do it with one camera as well. I mean, I think if you take the time to move the one camera to the various rail fanning points as the train comes through, you have a way of doing it with just a single camera. Plus, you have the advantage of not only moving a camera, but moving your lights and uh, getting a, a, a perfect scene. And uh, But it, that is a great idea. And uh, um, I... I have been accumulating these microphone stands that I'm planning on using as lighting stands, um, you know, like nice heavy bases and stuff like that. And uh, so, uh, so yeah, um, that sounds like great. You know, it's, it's great. This whole, this whole environment has created such a plethora of ideas that it is wonderful. I mean, just the whole, the atmosphere on these calls is one of everybody tossing out ideas and none of them are bad ideas. They all need to be kind of polished and fine tuned and, you know, shoehorned in place but they're still good ideas so yeah um that's 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 an equally good idea mike we have a few other folk on the call that would like to jump in on this thing so as you do please stay on the line and if anything comes up we'll bring you back in pleasure chatting as always I would like to welcome on a gentleman who has been thinking about some of these issues as well. Martin Coombs, pleasure to have you back on. As you listen into this thing, obviously this is a, a horrible crisis. There's no sugarcoating that the situation currently is not ideal for a good portion of the population. So talking about this somewhat, I don't know, somewhat jovially in the model railroading hobby is not necessarily the tone that I want to set here. In terms of your experience, in terms of how you've been able to connect with your extended crew what have you learned through this period hi tom interesting times i think we're we're going to go through a change in the hobby mm. uh, uh it's funny enough that yes the other day i was just thinking the viability in the future of model railway exhibitions uh it's it sort of i'm sort of wondering whether they are going to exist again like they used to whether it's even going to be practical even if they were on whether people would, would attend or how could they be held in such a way that this social distancing uh, interaction type of thing could be handled? Where... Can you imagine doing, I mean, in the UK, the weather is a, a meaningful factor. Can you imagine doing a train show outside, potentially? No, not really. The weather is so unpredictable mm. in the UK. Uh, it, and because you'd have to plan so far in advance, it will be really difficult i think uh yeah. because it's well just having the ground uh we've we've i've been to a few exhibitions that were technically held outside which was in the days of the chatham dockyard when mm -hmm. we couldn't exhibit in the old ropery they for a couple of years uh put up some huge marquees interesting uh but the problem with that is the ground they were on wasn't the most level yes. ground there was uh, an element of dust drifting everywhere and on one of the days, the heavens opened up and uh, the marquees couldn't handle the rain <laughs> volume in, in one hit. And uh, there was a few breakthroughs in the marquee and some of the layouts got uh, damaged. So, uh, 
Yeah, it's very difficult. Uh, I mean, and it, it also depends on types of layout. If you, I was thinking about that. We've got, uh, if you take Theobald's yard, for argument's sake, with the big layout we've got, we could exhibit that and on other two meter distancing because we operate the entire layout from inside. And we've got the screen of the layout and the backdrop between us and, and the layout itself is, is what, two and a half foot, three foot across the, on the boards. Then if you have, as we normally have barriers of three foot in front of the layout, that's technically with you standing back a foot from the layout operator, you're over the two meter element. Mm. And, and we've got the fascia and the back of the layout shielding us from visitors. Certainly. So we could be that. But if you take the layout, the yard, Mm. where we're operating at the front, literally yes. right in there. And and having that experience of people before all this, obviously, Crowding. this crisis. Yes. Yeah, and people only coughing and spluttering yeah. anyway. And you think, oh, cheers for that. You know, and, and at the time, that was, you, you know, you shrug all that off. Yeah. But in, in today's climate, it, it's a whole it's a whole different ball game. And it, it also, it was, I was bringing into question, uh, I went quite a, quite a bit of up and down thinking about the hobby is, was there even any future in it now? And where I'm coming from on that is, although we pretty much build in isolation for 99% of the time, it's that 1% where we interact with our friends and, and mm. people showing what we've done, yes. exchanging ideas. And, and that's, although it's only 1% of the time, for argument's sake, it is a big part of the hobby. Yes. As far I mean, as I see it. For your crew, and I had the luxury... Although obviously being there was, was an event, but I had the luxury of seeing some of the interaction. For you in the hobby, I would say probably 20 to 25% of the hobby was a social event. I mean, you do, I mean, maybe you don't get together physically as much as I saw you get together physically when I was there, but still a large portion of your, and I think it works with the crew cohesion as well, is associated with social interaction. It, it, in terms of video calls and these kind of things, are you doing that now? Are they more telephone calls? What are you doing to keep in contact with the various folks in your crew? We've uh, we've done a couple of well, Simon actually has hosted a couple of Zoom meetings, and uh, which have, have, have worked pretty well. A lot of the time, we were feeling our way around, getting used to the uh, what you can do, the controls, uh, how you can share a screen, uh, and and. Uh, and just trying to work within, you almost need a chair, shall we say, for a Zoom call. <laughs> so someone's got to control it. Uh, so we, we've done a couple of some. We were toying with trying to do one with Simon sort of live recording his layout. Mm. But the practicalities of that, as, as you've touched on earlier with Mike, uh, doing that yourself and, and coherently and getting the right camera angles and and trying to work the best way of doing it isn't as practical. We come to the conclusion probably the better way is to sort of pre-record uh, a couple of short videos or yes. a number of short videos that you can talk about, introduce, play them with the share screen scenario to cover the salient points. And, and one of the beauties of that is rather than let a Zoom call go on for hours on end, uh, which people, you know, it, it makes it difficult for people then, you can pre-record things and then hone down your editing of your youtube or your oh, say youtube videos so you get to the salem points and i think that would make a, a better uh, type of meeting and also photos you want to share mm. create a folder just for that meeting and mm. put all those photos in that folder 
for that meeting. So you've got a central location for it. Because I've been, I've attended a number of Zoom meetings for the the railway club, the local railway club we belong to. And because we can't meet, they've uh, started uh, on every Friday evening. We have a Zoom meeting. The first few were a bit hit and miss insofar as a lot of people just trying to get to grips with the technology and what you can and can't do and and the the, the technicalities of how to sh- share a screen and and it's a bit like skype and zoom you see a button for one minute to do something and then it hides itself for a while while you're doing something and then you've got to remember hang on a minute where was it and another thing with zoom is when you sh- i think yeah when you share a screen uh, it's the green button at the bottom but when you want to stop sharing why not have a red button at the bottom, but Zoom think it was a good idea to <laughs> so then put the, the stop button at the top of the screen. Yes, yes. You know, that, that just doesn't make any logical sense. It's interesting. The, I mean, I think certainly I've found this as well, and mainly professionally, actually, because everything I do professionally has now gone into these conferencing packages. The luxury of having a casual, quiet conversation isn't there through these presentation packages. You have to maybe text chat or agree to talk afterwards or these kind of things. A lot of the little interactions that happen through clubs and presentations is actually who you're sitting next to, you know, a chat around that afterwards before. And unfortunately, these tools, as you say, require a certain degree of meeting formality, which isn't actually quite scratching the same itch that you were initially describing. Have you thought a little bit about that? Yeah, it's... It's very early stages here. We're, we're all sort of feeling our way around. Uh, and I've, if going to the club one, uh, I don't attend every week uh, because I don't always have much to say. And, and sometimes it's just on a time thing. I couldn't be bothered. Uh, and, and, and maybe I hadn't had time to do some pre-preparation of what I uh, wanted to say or, or display. But the, the club uh, does have the, vi- the videos to download during the week. Uh, if you want to catch up on a meeting. And one thing I have found, because some people take a hell of a while to actually get to the point of what they're trying to say or, or faff around on the screen to try and show what they want to show, I found that there's a thing on Zoom. You can play it at one and a half and two times speed. Oh, the double speed, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I found that really useful that <laughs> I can sort of whiz through. And, and the one and a half times I found you can actually – in fact, I watched a, a whole meeting at one and a half times because mm. you could understand – quite clearly what they were saying yes. because the originators were speaking so slowly in the first place yes. <laughs> it, it, it sort of brought it up to normal speed but as a club what we, we have done there's a, a number of guys of uh, doing breakout meetings of uh, in, instructional zoom meetings mm. so one of them's doing an arduino project and uh, he's doing it over a course of three days spaced across three weeks uh, but he's, he's asked and people have registered with him that they want to do it. So he's ordered all the components and the bits and pieces for these people in advance so they can have it in front of themselves and they can work along with him through the Zoom meeting, uh, going live with it. So that that's one that's being done. And there's another one I've just posted. There's one of the guys is going to do one on uh, scratch building buildings. But he's starting off the thing by uh, just doing a, a scale scenes, the free download print kit. Mm. So just assemble a basic card kit so people get to grips with the tools, handling cards, the gluing and stuff like that. And from that, he's going to go on to full scratch build because they've got the basics under their belt. And he's going to show actually scratch building is not that much different from kit building. You just got to cut out a little bit more uh, and you've got to draw the lines yourself in the first place. But it is quite easy. 
mm. when you get around to it. So we we still still got to work uh, with Simon uh, on the Zoom mm. meetings. I think it's it's definitely a way forward. What we found on the second one, it was uh, I think it was me, me Neil, Simon, and Anthony. I think it was I can't remember the names come blank uh, mm-hmm. at the moment. Uh, Simon, uh, be able to say. But we were able to talk about specifics of uh, projects that we want to do with regard to Adrian. Thomas just put up Adrian. Yeah, it just went mm-hmm. completely blank. But Adrian was with us. Yeah. And we were able to talk specifics about a particular element of a wheel of a loco that we want to produce. And it worked quite well. But mm-hmm. it, it was the sort of conversation that we would have had face-to-face in one of our meetups. Certainly. But we were able to do it with Zoom. So we, we, we haven't lost some of that facility that we've, we've had. We just, we need to be a bit more formalized with it. Mm. But then again, we used to formalize the meetings and say, Oh, we'll see you at Thursday afternoon, whatever date. So there's no reason why we couldn't do the same. Certainly. Uh, Certainly. With the Zoom, uh, or whatever we decide to go with, uh, with it, with these various sort of medias. So I think there's a, there's a potential for that. How that's going to affect the whole hobby. It's, it's, I'd say I have noticed a huge, huge increase in YouTube model making videos and, oh, yes. and modeling posts. On I mean, Facebook is just riddled with people's building projects and Certainly. what they're doing and stuff Certainly. like that, which is good. I mean, I've, funny enough, just before this recording, it's lovely here, by the way, the weather. It's a beautiful sunny day. <laughs> uh, so I, I decided to get the steam engine out mm. and I've been running that. But I've filmed myself uh, to make it from literally putting in the water, oiling up, uh, gassing up, lighting, uh, getting it ready. And then uh, I just filmed, which I'll piece together tonight, into a short video of, of firing up the loco, running it, shunting onto some coaches and then running, running the coaches the entire length of the layout, just to try and get to grips with how easy or how difficult is it to knock a video together that doesn't go on for too long that people get bored, but it, it gets the information across. Certainly. So that, that can people see, you know, can see that. So I started to do that this afternoon. It's uh, something to do. But uh, so a couple yeah. of recordings ago, mm-hmm. I, in, in part through exactly what you're saying, realizing that the nature of a train show as a thing is probably going to change dramatically. But also, I follow a fellow who walks around London, and obviously in the current lockdown situation, he's walking around his the area that he lives in war but he posted recently as he passed the local church you know this used to be a train show that was on annually and it was just wonderful and he's not a model railroader i think we lose track of the fact that train shows aren't just for model railroaders they're actually for communities as well and in thinking about that and as you say with the fact that the the train shows are going to have to change right they're going to have to and i'd certainly be talking with mike slater about train fest as probably although who knows maybe the first major train show in the US after the lockdown ends, hopefully in November, let's see. In terms of your experiences, you've you've had such intimacy with train shows all over the UK. What are a couple of your favourite train shows and why were they particularly good? Hmm. I like the the more specialised train shows because you you seem to get a, a better quality of modelling and and quite often more of a diverse mixture. Well, a local one I used to like was Expo NG, which is uh, the Expo Narrow Gauge. It's the big one 
in the UK for mm. narrow gauge, which also attracted European visitors. And it was one we twinned up with uh, for Bredgar. We would be open on the Sunday while the Expo NG show was on the Saturday. So that was a real sort of a good mix of modelling. And because it was just Expo NG being narrow gauge only, mm. you had all the specialists appear there, the specialist suppliers. Yes. Uh, and it was all narrow gauge modelling. It, it was all honed in in just one place. You weren't distracted by any other so uh, type of railway modelling that you weren't particularly interested in. So I, I've, I've liked those sorts of ones. I like shows where they've sort of gone for quality rather than quantity. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've, I've just I can't be doing with looking at layouts that people have. You think, oh, you know, could you have not got that joint right on that track? That's just yes. so bad. Yes. And, and all day their locos are coming off and stuff like that. And, yeah. Uh, um, but I know everybody's got their limits and their skills and everybody who gets enjoyment, and that's fine, but it doesn't float my boat. So I'd much rather see le- uh, a smaller number of good quality stuff and good mm. quality suppliers than a great big show. Uh, so I, I've tended to go on for sort of Train West, Rail X, mm-hmm. uh, Expo NG, uh, those types of, of shows. Uh, and you, you find you get a real appreciative audience in Certainly. those shows as yes. well because they, they've all come for the quality they appreciate the quality so you get a real nice feedback which gives you a buzz there's no, there's no two ways about it if someone comes mm. and says oh that's really great what you've done that, that that's nice you know that's good to have conversely i also enjoy our local club show yes which is held in the village hall and by far and away the biggest number of attendees are from the village yes because they've adopted it as a, a social gathering Certainly. And the meeting area for them. And it, it, it's part of the village calendar. Yes. Rather like the Mayfair, which is obviously cancelled this year as well. Uh, the Mayfair is, is part of the, the, the village thing where or everyone from the village gets together. We as a model railway club put a steam, live steam mm. uh, exhibition on for them. We also have the Thomas the Tank Engine layout in the village hall. Yes. <clears throat> and, and we help man the whole thing. So... That, that's a very much a community-based social thing. We can't get a vast amount of layouts in there because the hall's small, but we yes. do try and have quality. But we've, all, we've always encouraged layout exhibitors to interact with the public and explain what it is they've done, why they've done it, how they've done it. And a lot of the people, we get a lot of good feedback saying it, we term it the friendly show. Mm. They, they, the because a lot of the you know, people from the village who are new to the village and see the exhibition never realised model railways were like we were doing. Their, their, life, their, their thought of a model railway was the circle on the carpet with a Hornby engine flying around till it falls off. Yes. Uh, and, and that's it. it. It's That's more toy trains as opposed to model trains. Yes. And they were quite uh, enthralled by the detail and the attention to getting things right and, and realism uh, was, was quite an eye-opener for them. Uh, and, in fact, some of them have actually taken up the hobby because of it uh, and, and got involved, which is, has been really good. But it's, it's so hard to predict at the moment. I mean, it could well be that there's some fantastic scientist out there who's just on the brink of getting the miracle coronavirus solution, uh, which would be fantastic, and we could all get back to normal. But... You know, there's things like travel. Uh, they're, they're, well, especially here, yeah, I think they're going to announce tomorrow 
the uh, 14-day quarantine in, after international travel. Well, that puts the bed anything of traveling to Europe to exhibit and Europeans coming here to exhibit. Because if you work it both ways, in theory, you've you've got to quarantine both ways. So you'd have to be there a fortnight before a show yes. to be in quarantine, attend the show. And when you got back, you'd have to quarantine again. So I'm not really sure how all that's going to work. It's tough, uh, but I'm sure the hobby will will adapt because the hobby's adapted now. Sure. Uh, you know, years ago, there were the naysayers, oh, the hobby's died. It's 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 no more. The shops are closing. Well, these people who are saying that hadn't realised it's actually gone online, yes. and the hobby online is hugely active. Yes, uh, and there's a, a massive amount of development going on. And they said, "I was no youngsters in the hobby." Yeah, there are. There, there are loads of them out there. <laughs> these these youngsters have got to grips with the three D printing and, and all the, the the digital side of stuff and and the DCC control. You know, they're they're, they're out there. You know, they've got to grips with it, and and it's evolved. That's the thing. It's it's like oh, model railways were clockwork. Oh, when when you couldn't get clockwork mechanisms, that's going to be the end of model railways. Now they put electric motors in them. Yes, you know, and it changed and it moved on. So it'll evolve. Uh, not sure how, but I'm sure it will. Yes, but it, it's been an absolute godsend of a hobby uh, to keep you sane. Certainly. It's, it's, yes. Uh, I've got my neighbour. He hasn't. His, his only hobby is golf. And he's, uh, he's, well, he's, actually, he's literally pulling his hair out because yes. all the golf courses are closed. And he hasn't, aside from reading, uh, he's, he's done everything he can in his garden. Yes. <laughs> you know, he, he, he just wants the golf courses to be open so he can do something. Yes. Whereas, you know, I'm up to my neck in stuff with <laughs> uh, building stuff, painting stuff. I'm busy with work. But uh, unfortunately, I work from home, so I can, I can do an hour's work. Stop for half an hour. I'll go and spray the bottom half of a coach or something. Yes. Then do an hour's work. Stop for half an hour. All right. I don't start at nine and finish at five. I'll start at nine and probably finish at nine, ten at night. But I haven't done it solid. I've broken it up, broken it up with bits of modeling. Because sure. there's lots of bits of modeling that you can only glue something and you can't do the next bit till that's gone off. Certainly. Well, that suits me because, you know, I do an hour's work, go and glue a side of a building, leave all that to clamp and, and go off and do another hour's work, and by which time the glue's dry and I can glue the next bit on. So, you know, that, that's adapting in some respects, I suppose, uh, and, and looking at the resources you've got uh, and, and working with them. I mean, I'm fortunate because I, I use computers in my day job and so very familiar with that side of it. So uh, that, that's handy. But if you're coming from something where you're not used to computers and that technology and file formats and where stuff is and how stuff generally works, I could see that being a bit of an issue. But it's it's just getting to grips with it, isn't it? And uh, sure. seeing where it where it can really go. But uh, it's it hasn't stopped me modelling. Wonderful. That's for sure. And uh, still chatting away with Simon and Neil and things are moving along. How is I mean, Neil doing? He, he, it's his uh, grandson's birthday today, so he's having a Zoom birthday meeting. Wonderful. Uh, so he's not going to be in today, but he's got his – did I say he was, get, he was getting a Formlabs? Uh, it's arrived. It's arrived, and he's been using it. Wonderful. And he's producing some great stuff uh, on that. And uh, I will just quickly want to – just bear with me a minute. I've got it in. No, photos are always welcome. I'm just going to drag a photo – you just drag it into the chat, I can't remember. I, I believe that might be how it works. Let's give it a go. Oh, I've done it. Something come up. Ah, there we go. Ah, terrific. Yes, yes, that's, that was really Right. Wow. Yeah. So what we've Look got there, that. 
that's uh, oh, you know them pipes, Ed Traxler. Yes. Dumping. Well, you see, sent them off. I think it's about twenty sixth of April. Well, they sat at Miami for quite a while, mm. uh, but uh, they, they've they've arrived at Heathrow and yes. had an email yesterday. So they're somewhere between uh, Heathrow and here. Believe me. <laughs> so I've I've got headphones. But in the meantime, Neil's uh, done some for me, and he's done some test prints there. Uh, he hasn't put the bolt detail on because he just wanted to prove the concept. But uh, just have interest that what she got that pointed Obelisk. object. Obelisk. Yeah, yeah. That, that's actually a four mil uh, model of something I think is called a coal post. Mm. Simon may know about it, but these are all all along the railway line. Wonderful. I think, I think they're called coal posts, oh. and they're marker for something, which I presume is a, a coal point. Uh, I see Simon's typing, so we'll probably be able to confirm. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, he does know, so he, he could uh, wonderful tell us about that. But uh, to the right, in that picture, those uh, the tests on the Louvre doors. Now, the big Louvre door, you know the big blue loco, the big blue diesel, mm, uh, yes. Worms Hill, the yes. Redgar? Well, that's a Louvre door that Neil's 3D printed. Wonderful. And then he's done a 7mm one next to it. Yes. And the small <laughs> one is a 4mm one. Yes. So, uh, And I've sent Neil uh, quite a few bits of evergreen tubing because he's printing all these uh, to fit evergreen tubing. Uh, which is, and he's, in fact, he's just done a, another lot for me. If I just quickly, I should have named, named these pictures. It would have been a lot easier. <laughs> All right. It's going to drag another one in. There we Tube. go. Here we go. Give it a second. Is it getting there? There we go. Wonderful. Look at that thing. Yeah. So uh, he's made some elbows and he's also made some just straight flange plates. Mm. So we can just assemble our own uh, tubing. Uh, pipe runs, mm -hmm. for, which is all, all for the yard. So all I do now is I just tell him which ones that I need, uh, and and there should be another one. And I'm going to write sample. This is all exciting. <laughs> right. Oh yes, yes. There's, there's they were the two initial tube sizes I sent him uh, of the Evergreen range, and he's printed them. That's a 50p coin there to give Certainly. you an idea of size. Uh, but I think that the tube on the right is 6.2 mil. Mm. And the one on the left, the smaller one is three point two mil. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the sort of things that we're 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 working on at the moment. And I got a whole host of things and ideas uh, with this. But now you know, he's really got to grips with this uh, uh, printer, this resin printer. But his his is the one that's the cartridge one. Yes. So there's there's no no smell off it. It's all self contained. Mm. Uh, it's uh, it's a terrific piece of kit, so, and, and the quality is looking very very good. So he's going to do a few more for us, and then uh, send them to me. So we're using Post and Zoom and <laughs> all sorts of pieces to sort yes. of get by, uh, just to sort you know to, to get over where we used to meet up face to face sure. and do swap this stuff uh, every week. It hasn't hindered us uh, this uh, situation we're in at the moment. We're just finding another way round. Amen. So. Very good. Mum, it's been a pleasure as always. Please keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much yep. for the opportunity to chat today. You know how we do things. Simon may raise something that requires you, so if you could stay in the chat, it'd be wonderful to, uh, to get yeah, you around. Certainly, and then you'll be able to explain about a coal post. <laughs> wonderful. Good chatting as always, Mum. Take care. Thank you, Tom. Cheers.
Well, Thanks, Martin man. has spoken. It is time for Simon Hill. Simon, this is just some amazing work that Neil is producing currently. Did you anticipate that the quality would be this good? I think when we had our chat um, a couple of weeks ago, Neil was basically prepared for that that style of quality. Mm. Um, and going on from what he's done with the old machine, I mean, it's uh, just leaps and bounds improvement. And uh, just looking at the quality of the, uh, the cold boundary marker, yes. I mean, that's Stunning. for a formula uh, obelisk. Yes, it's uh, absolutely amazing. Did you want to know what they're all about? Why not? Yeah. It goes back really to when all the separate companies and all the private owners of various wagons had marker points for charging when uh, a coal company would put a wagon of coal in and deliver it, say, from uh, one of the Cape Coal Fields to London. And every time it went past their boundary marker, that was part of the charging process. So they knew where it had been and why it was progressing along. But not many of them left now. I think mm. some of them were knocked down and people are realising now the relevance of them because they go back really to the late 19th century yes. uh, when the the coal industry was one of the prime, as you know, prime uh, heavy industries in this country. Certainly. Uh, but I always sort of doffed my cap when I used to go past it because it always stood out very well at Swanley. Yes. And it's nice, nice to see it being modelled. Would they be painted? I mean, in terms of how they were identified, I noticed there's a kind of crest mark on it. Is the crest what identifies them as you pass them? You know, you're moving from, I don't even know the name of the companies, but from one company's territory to another company's territory? Um, basically, this one here was the London division. Um, so in the up direction, once you pass that, you was in the London division. And when you were south of that, you was in what would be the Southern Railway division. So they, some of them were cast in concrete, some of them were stone, mm -hmm. some of them were steel. It, it, it depended on the, the locations. But that one there, I think it's a stone one. Um, and it's, it's been there ever since I've been on the railway, obviously, and it's still there now because not a lot of people know it's there because unless you squint out when you zoom your past 80 mile an hour, you wouldn't even know what it's about. So you know that it's there, you know its location, and that identifies where you're moving between. I, yes. I guess the people on the train have their wits about them. That's, I guess, the, <laughs> the subtitle of it. Yes, very good. Fascinating. So in terms of the topics that we've been discussing, you've obviously been experimenting with Zoom quite a bit. Can you talk a little bit about what you've learnt through that? I mean, obviously, Martin's covered some of the bases, but just in terms of showing your layout, we did talk briefly about using potentially like statically mounted webcams and other things. What's your current thinking on this whole, you know, lockdown situation? I think what Martin said has summed it up, really. I mean, Zoom um, is very useful to talk, to have a chat. Um, and looking at what other people have been doing, I know the Gordy done the NMRA one, which is fantastic um, to give an oversight of you know people's skills and various layers. There's, I think there's a reluctance over here for a lot of people to go down that line. I've, I've been trying to sort of hint to the O-Gage Guild, perhaps that's the way they should go, because um, they're – main exhibition is the end of August, which is going to be cancelled. We all know that, but they're, they're not committing to that yet. Uh, but they're going along the line of a, a website-type um, display where you would have links to traders, which is a bit clunky, really. It's not really that interactive. But, I mean, from our point of view, as Martin said, Zoom gives you the feel of being there and chatting and being able to get in close with detail. From my perspective, what Martin was saying about sort of layout tours of I've been sort of thinking about expanding the cameras I'm going to have on the layout mm. to make more locations for them. So effectively, it'll be a more sophisticated system where you can record from it. 
because the ones I'm envisaging Neil got me, they're just basically, uh, they're not remote monitored in any way. So mm. they need to be upgraded probably to a, a recorded style of camera. But that, that's not, not going to be a problem. But as, as you said about locations for these cameras and trying to get a realism in what you're taking as footage would, would take a lot of uh, experimenting, especially with a fairly complex layout of mine. It might need quite a lot of cameras. So whether that's cost prohibitive, I don't know yet. But it's something I'm looking at. But yeah, I mean, we will carry on with the Zoom meetings because in an hour um, you can get a lot done. And it was quite strange when we had our last one. Was, I had a lot of problems connecting and then I got a message from Zoom saying there's no charge if you go past 40, 40 minutes, which I thought, well, that's handy. Perhaps if I, I can dock to a computer to show I'm having problems, they might do that again. Yes. It is interesting when you think about these cameras, particularly ones that are cloud connected. I mean, certainly for us, we have five cameras that we use as security cameras. But there is a certain degree of network infrastructure that's necessary. You can, however, as you know, potentially just turn them on and off. So, you know, there are ways to get around the kind of cloud congestion, you know, sending all this video data, you know, up to a, a repository somewhere on the Internet. So, yeah, I think there are a number of, of, of ideas through this. But when Gordy said to me, put it, the cameras at rail fanning points, that immediately was just like, I mean, I guess that's, you know, every magazine model railroader, they take all the shots from the rail fanning points. Why not just put the cameras there? So it seems like you've already had similar thoughts. Yes, and probably in some areas where it wouldn't be obvious either um, to give shots. I mean, for my mind, it's about locating a train to making sure they're not colliding with things in the hidden parts of layout. But the, the scenic side, yes. I mean, there's parts of the layout that it would, be interesting to try and get the cameras because as you know my layout I operate from the centre so and having the cameras mounted from the outer edges will give another perspective I mean it's something I can work on and I've got to start getting together more of the equipment because I'm just coming to the end of the wiring stage and I want to get that out of the way and the, the cameras will need to be included onto that because they need to be hidden away so they don't interfere with the scenery but yeah, I mean, that's something I would look at and keep keep everybody up to date with what I'm doing. I mean, Neil would be involved as easy, the technical body with that for me. And in terms of the other topic, in terms of talking about train shows of the past, what are some of your favourite memories of train shows? Oh, crikey. Um, I've done an awful lot of train shows as a trader, uh, helping my friends with model shops and various specialist dealers over the years, and also with my own company. Um, I... I didn't really enjoy the shows as such because as a trader, you're there primarily for one purpose, but layouts-based shows where we took layouts to. I mean, we took um, a club layout to Paris many years ago. That was very good because their, their way of operating was totally alien to us. I mean, where we would sort of get in the show, get set up, you know, you open at 10, you run to 6, and then you'll go home. Paris stood out because at one o'clock they'd put over tannoy, it's closed. They, they all trooped out and out come the tables with the wine and the, the food and we sat there for two hours drinking and <laughs> eating. And then the Wonderful. show opened again. Wonderful. I mean, yeah, yeah, the hospitality uh, of shows like that were good. I mean, and as Martin said, probably the, the smaller specialist shows are the ones that are more interesting because of the quality of modelling you see at those shows. The general shows are okay if you just want to go and get your bits and pieces and see friends and, you know, mm. have a look at a few lads if you can, but they tend to be very congested. Mm. You know, the Warley type shows where you, you, you're looking at multiple thousands of people in attendance and, you know, 100 plus layouts and 50, 60 plus trailers. It's, it's difficult 
to prioritize what you're going to see unless you're going to do two or three days of those shows. But yeah, yeah I mean, for me, probably the, the favorite shows are, as Martin said, the, the Narragay show at Swanley, um, some of the small specialist shows like the Scale Force Society, the EM Gage Society, where the emphasis is purely on quality modeling. Hmm. But whatever floats your boat, really. I mean, in terms of this, the new normal, in terms of how shows will exist afterwards, have you, have you explored that somewhat dark realm? Have you thought about what shows might look like after this thing is, is all done? I mean, just following various forums, there's, there's, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there from people saying, let's say it's all over, but there's also the positive side saying, in some ways, change might be better for the hobby as well. Um, there's a lot of shows that are stuck in a, a realm that isn't really relevant anymore, um, where they're not moving forward in te- technology. They're not giving the quality of show that they should do. And this, this might buck people's idea that because the online presence, as Martin said, is, is so huge now, where you can tap into a forum, you know, uh, can you tell me how to build uh, an XYZ kit? And that will pop a thread on that construction of that model. And it will be an in-depth thread, whereas when you go to a show and, and say, a demonstration stand, the chap's normally sitting there chatting to his mates and trying to get to someone to, to talk to him and try and glee some information is very difficult. Whether, you know, this blows over in a year or two and we do get back to some uh, normality, I don't know. But at the moment, as Martin said, we're, we're very fortunate. We can sit in our little rooms, our sheds, and, and quite happily play our way, watch videos as we're doing it and learn something as well. So mm. I don't know. I mean, I'm... I'm not going to sort of surmise at the moment where we go because at the moment we don't know. I mean, we've got an announcement tomorrow about what's going to happen next and I don't know. And, you know, looking out of our window here, people's lockdown doesn't seem to be happening. There's loads of cars, loads of people thinking, mm. well, I'll stay indoors. I'll keep me modelling going. And that's, that's, that's how I'm happy with. I mean, I mean, always a pleasure chatting, Simon. I mean, certainly I've, I've said this before, but some of my fondest memories of the past few years is uh, you know stopping by and hanging out with you folk and being able to come and see your you know layout and this kind of stuff and obviously all that has has changed at least in the short term uh, but as you say everything is now virtual people are setting up cameras doing zoom this kind of stuff and uh, as you were doing I think a lot of people in this hobby are experimenting currently with this new technology so hopefully we'll we'll see through this percolating you know, best practices and things like that, which people will be able to, you know, just set up and, and use. So pleasure chatting as always, Simon. Please stay on the line. You know how we do things. Um, but yeah, look after yourself. Take care. Thank you, Tom. I would like to welcome on a gentleman who, when we talk about train shows, as the responsibility associated with Trainfest. Mike Slater, I know you're not a doom and gloom kind of person, but have you thought, I mean, do you anticipate that Trainfest will just be like the way it has been previously, or are you anticipating that, you know, the maybe social distancing guidelines or these kind of things? What, what are your thoughts on what the new normal will mean to Trainfest? Well, it's kind of hard, like like you mentioned earlier, with Trainfest being in November and we're we're in May, and a lot can happen between now and then. Uh, especially here in the United States and in, in the Midwest, uh, we're taking everything into consideration. But as is TrainFest going to be the same as it was last year in attendance or the year before that? It's it's hard to say. It, it all depends on 
what happens during the summer months and the fall months and what uh, our local governments and uh, state governments uh, uh, do at that time frame also. Uh, we're, we're moving forward, uh, with the planning just because, you know, you're, you're looking at an, an event at six months away and we, you know, you know, six months ago, you know, we didn't know we'd be in a situation like we're in now. Uh, so you, you, you have to plan for the positive, but you also have to take a look at any type of negative effects that will take place also. Could you run a virtual train first? The... Biggest problem, I don't know if that would be possible or not. You know, Springfield and Train Fest, you know, they're, they're different types of beasts. You know, could, could we do like what uh, the one hobby shop out of New York State is doing? You know, contacting the different manufacturers and having them do uh, new product informations online. Mm-hmm. That's something we could possibly do. But as far as all the different layouts and stuff like that that are at the show, a lot of them are are portable layouts and only get set up at shows. So it'd be hard to probably cover those type of layouts and mm. and venues. Uh, one of the things that um, that we actually kind of dropped uh, before actually the uh, all the events took place, uh, we ended up dropping the international aspect of Train Fest. Mm. But we did that back in. Um, uh, December, January, when we were looking at some of the financial costs that it it may uh, be associated, we st- we still have people that are still planning. Hopefully, you know, for the positive ends, you know, that they they would be to tra- be able to travel from international, but we're not promoting the international aspect like we were nine months ago or a year ago. Interesting, interesting. So, in terms of the hobby, in terms of the lockdown, what has been going on with you? in the past week or so since we last chatted? Uh, well, one of the things I've been working on is a, a new module uh, for the, over the past couple of weeks. I don't believe I mentioned it on the last time we talked, but it's a model of the uh, North Shore Lines, uh, which is an interurban line that ran near my neck of the woods here. Uh, it's a model of the Root River Bridge. It was a heavy double-track steel viaduct bridge. And one of the things while building this bridge, initially about a year ago, I was asked, hey, you should build a module to bridge. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. And, of course, the Illinois Railway Museum, they've been uploading all kinds of uh, company photographs of the North Shore online. And they had two very good uh, after-completion photographs of the bridge. And after looking at those photos, the bridge didn't seem to be as complicated as I thought it was, with the only exception was that all the model manufacturers, when they make the towers for the the heavy or the long uh, steel viaduct bridges, they're all designed for a single track mainline, not a double track mainline. Interesting. But, but luckily, I was looking at uh, the different kits and that for the the towers, and I was able to kit bash the towers into a double track. Uh, viaduct and I had to do a little bit of 3D printing component parts on my 3D printer to, to make up for some of the, the little bits that I needed. And then I also 3D printed the concrete, uh, bridge supports to look like what I, uh, had in the photographs of the River Bridge. So it's, uh, coming along right, pretty nicely right now. The module set up out, outside of the, um, uh, sliding glass door and I'm looking at it and 
waiting for the Gorilla Glue to cure for gluing <laughs> the foam insulation. And then I'll be able to do some more carving and shaping of the foam. And maybe in a few weeks, I'll be able to get the, the bridge structure glued in place. And and uh, actually, before I do that, I'd want to get some the uh, ground cover on the hillside. But maybe in about a month or so, I'll be able to get the bridge mounted in place and tracks uh, installed and then start working on the overhead cantonary wire. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, it sounds like lockdown... Casa Slater is uh, is a, a productive time. That sounds wonderful. And I mean, we talked a little bit about what's going on online currently and the kind of explosion of the hobby online. And you mentioned, you know, that you're seeing aspects of this as well. Can you talk a little bit about what you, your view of this period is for the hobby and in particular, you know, the online communities? Well, usually I'm getting messages from Clark, you know, every so many days, you know, uh, asking me what what I've been doing in that, and uh, or like last night the Twin Cities Rail Group didn't have uh, anything online, but the week before that they had four layouts, and one of the layouts was the uh, uh, the Birdie Award winning uh, uh, club layout in the Twin oh, yeah. Cities, and in fact uh, they even uh, had the Birdie Award on display when they Wonderful. were doing the walk around the the club layout room, and uh, so that was. Nice seeing the the progress that that club has made because I was to that club a couple years back in person. Uh, and in fact, I did a online clinic that I posted on, ended up posting the video onto YouTube for the North Shore and Urban Line that mm. the area that I'm modeling. So I, I think it's a lot of positives. I think you're you're seeing a lot of people grasping onto this new technology where they weren't before. Uh, those that don't fully understanding it they're they're asking for help and assistance where people are going over there with their smartphones and recording their layouts and and showing them how to do this newer technology that they're not familiar with yeah so i, I think i think it's a positive a win-win all over in the hobby wonderful yeah i think it's uh certainly yeah the the what would i say the way in which people are finding various things in the technology and then promoting that. And I mean, certainly we talked about the Twin Cities folk. They're, you know, promoting it through just display. I mean, people are learning through what they're showing, uh, you know, gimbal-based cameras. I mean, all this kind of stuff that no one would have talked about six months ago are now becoming common vernacular in the hobby, or at least the folks that are interested in doing this. In terms of the divide, though, I mean, this is something that really concerns me about only about a third of the model rail radio listeners that I could survey are actively on Facebook. So there's still two thirds at least, if not more, in the hobby that are not picking up this kind of technology. Do you, do you get a sense of how you can ease in the other two thirds into the stuff that people are doing currently? Well, one of the things that the, the Twin Cities group is also doing, uh, for the people that are recording their layouts, uh, and they're using a, a smartphone. One of the individuals is posting the videos on his YouTube channel. Because I know a lot of people that aren't on Facebook, but yet they they do uh, find their way to YouTube. Certainly. So I think that's taken uh, care of the other uh, maybe one missing one third. Uh, the remaining third, I don't know if you'll ever be able to totally get get them on board with the te- uh, technology. Certainly. I know within our Within our NRMRA division, uh, we made the executive decision to do our 
Division's newsletter totally uh, email only, uh, not printed out copies, uh, just for the sheer fact that it was limiting the our newsletter editor's ability to print a or create an easy newsletter. Certainly. The, otherwise, he was having to format it to a yeah. format that could be printed. You had to do a certain number of pages, and if you didn't have a certain number of pages, then you had to find filler, and you didn't want to put in too many pictures because then then you were clogging up the you, you couldn't you know, that was now ex- extending the newsletter and actually going with the digital only emailed uh, pdf uh we've actually had more members actually submit articles uh for this digital only version mm. than the, the printed uh version awesome. and where we only had a limitation of i think it was about eight pages minimal for our newsletter uh we were only plan on maybe having a few pages and it ended up being, I think, a 16-page uh, uh, newsletter from, from all the articles that were submitted. We um, added more pictures. We had the pictures in a larger format. We didn't shrink the photos. We didn't have to worry about degrading photos or converting them to black and white. Um, it was just so much easier for the, the editor to, to actually create the newsletter. Certainly. And probably out of our 160-some members, the six members that were requesting, you know, the digital printed version, you know, is it unfortunate we're, we're dropping them, you know, from a printed version? It's unfortunate, but for six people out of 160 people, you sometimes have to draw a line in the, in the sand mm-hmm. and, yeah. and uh, you know, they can always go to a public library. They can ask another division member that's a friend to, to print that copy for them. You know, tough decisions sometimes have to be made. Amen. Amen. Mike Slater, pleasure chatting as always. Thank you very much for calling in today. You know who we do things down the line. I'm going to be talking to Mr. Clark Cooning in a minute, so I'm sure he's going to say something instigatory, and you may have to come back on the line. But well, it's I, pleasure I, chatting as always. I'll, I'll keep him in line for you. <laughs> Wonderful. Take care, Mike. Good chat. Yep. like to welcome on a gentleman who has been to many more train shows than we could ever possibly imagine. Clark, one of the topics that we've been discussing and uh, Mike O'Dorney set it off this morning, what do you think will happen to train shows once, you know, the pop- once movement is lifted? What do you think the new normal for train shows will be? You know, I have no idea. I'm I'm concerned about that. Uh, Mike mentioned it uh, as well, and I heard uh, Michael when you were first start first started. That's a huge concern. I I don't know where we're gonna be. I really don't. I hope we can get back to somewhat normal, but I think it's gonna be a couple of. I think it could be 18 months before we see any kind of normal. I really do. I and I'm and I'm quite concerned about you know, a rebound of the situation, and I don't want to get into the politics of it, but mm. I am I am quite concerned about a big rebound uh, from what I've been talking to with a number of the frontline paramedics uh, that I know. They're quite concerned about it, too, about a big rebound, so we'll see yeah. what happens. But um, as far as, you know, uh, you guys were talking about the virtual shows and stuff, one of the things, and about social interaction. And I and it and it struck me. I thought that was a really good 
point. Now I'm going to probably get some hate mail. <laughs> I see stuff on the internet and I see fairly new people, I would think, with very basic layouts and stuff. And they're very proud of them. And they should be because it's their first attempt. And everybody starts somewhere and you build. It's just like when you talk to your kids, you know, when they're starting out math, they don't know what two and two is. And eventually, you know, they're doing uh, calculations and stuff and how to get back and forth to the moon and all this. I think it's the same in model railroading. And I, and, and I think that interact of how people learn and being shown, I think that's going to be a big, a big concern in the hobby and about not getting out. I'm not sure if we as a model railroad group or hobbyists are as well connected as a lot of us think we are. Hmm. I think there's a small group that are very engaged in today's internet and so forth, but I think there's a large group that just is not interested in that. So how do we reach out to those Absolutely. people? And as you guys were talking, and and uh, I think it was um, – Oh boy, uh, maybe Martin had mentioned something about in shows and stuff. And I, and I, and it hit me about going to, I was at a layout tour once, um, not far from the Toronto area. And it was the first time that I saw spline being done. Mm. And in this area, everybody did spline. And I'm thinking, okay, what happened was the leader, the, the guru in that area said, this is the way you have to do it. And everybody said, oh, okay. And that's how they built their railroads. And yet in other pockets, nobody even knew what spline was. So I found that. And to me, I've, uh, I've done spline since I've seen it on, on bigger railroads. And I find it the best way myself. But people who have never experienced that or seen it done would never know. So, and I mean, that's just one example. So how do we, how do we get those beginners? How do we get those people who are not internet savvy to participate? That's the question. It is. <laughs> that's why I asked. <laughs> it is but, interesting because I think, I think of it in terms of Facebook and YouTube. And then, as you say, I mean, in order for someone to listen to a podcast, they're already probably bathing in the Kool-Aid, not even drinking it by this point. And it's something I found interesting going to train shows, in particular doing layout tours, wearing a model rail radio T-shirt. A few plucky individuals will come and ask me, what's this thing? What's this podcast thing? You know, And it makes me realize that we take for granted the communities that we create online, but they don't actually represent necessarily anything more than a fraction of the, you know, the actual train show punters. Yeah, and, and that's the same thing as the NMRA. I mean, we only have a small fraction of, of model railroaders. The narrow gauge group, any club only really attracts a small percentage of what is possible out there. But I think the Internet is also one of those, it's a barrier, yet it's a... A fantastic tool. And if we mm. could somehow move them from, you know, just basically Facebook to getting onto this program or getting to different uh, 
shows even, if if we can get them in the future, I think you could see the level of model railroading increasing. Now, now not everybody cares. They just want to have a good time. They're playing their their on their railroad and you know, they could care less about improving per se. So they're they're the true, you know, I'm having fun hobbyist. And there's nothing wrong with that. My own personal I mean I like to try and learn something new in the hobby, but that's not for everybody. And so how do we maybe pull some of those people along with us or we don't? And 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 I think that's all part of the, the internet aspect as well. How do we or virtual uh you know railroading. I mean I looked at the virtual convention that uh, that Gordy put on with the NMRA and I think it was fantastic. Now, mm. how many people even looked at it um, on a percentage wise? Certainly. I would say, I would say it was probably low, yet fantastically attended at the same time. Like Certainly. if that makes any sense. So, I, I don't know how we get over that. Uh, I don't know how we get over that hump. Yes, I wish I had answers as well. I mean, I think word of mouth has been really. The strength of this particular recording without word of mouth i don't think i'd have a show like i have today and that is an interesting thing the the ability of people to describe why these things are good and then slowly but surely bring others into this thing now as you say the internet is an obstacle and these technologies and people have made very again not delving into politics but very distinct choices with regards to things like facebook so it is interesting, like what pluralist technology comes out of this. And certainly, talking with with Gordy last recording, I thought it was fascinating that he's also thinking about this and exploring other, you know, potential ways of getting these these videos out. You got a good one with Gordy, though. I really was very very impressed with my conversation with him, and a sense that he is someone who is leading from the front and will no doubt be able to bring others in the NMRA along for the ride. I was really thoroughly impressed with my opportunity to chat with him. I knew of him as a character, as you do, but actually to, you know, ask technical questions of him and get a sense of his thinking around the technology, I found really fascinating. It was a great opportunity to chat. So, Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think Gordy's got some fantastic ideas. You know, I, I said this uh, several years ago, we have to bring the Anna Murray uh, kicking and screaming into the 20th century. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about that because <laughs> you're a known troublemaker. You're a known instigator in the NMRA and you're always like, like 15 moves ahead of even the board of directors at any given time. I mean, I would call in, in very traditional terms, Gordy is a radical, right? He is someone yeah. who is coming in a unique perspective, an instigator, but also someone who has a very strategic vision. How do you get these people? I mean, I look at Open LCB as a really good example of similarly people that knew what they wanted to do and were able through a few iterations to bring the NMRA along. How do you think you bring a majority of the NMRA along with Gordy's particular vision? Well, I think change, it's like anybody anywhere, even, uh, uh, you know, during the pandemic, Change is a hard thing for people to accept. We did it this way. Why can't and I, I myself and a and a fellow from Australia, David North, 
when we were on the board together, one of the things we said was, you're like the Titanic, guys. You change the deck chairs, but we're still going down. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I think you do have to try and experiment and try something. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You, But there is a fine line. I think this is where the board and – and I would probably be the same. You have to remember it's still a corporation. Mm-hmm. You're, fooling, you're fooling with, by making rash decisions – livelihood of a number of people because uh, the NMRA doesn't have a big staff, but they do contribute to a lot of people's uh, livelihood. They mm. and, and, and indirectly, not just directly. You look at the ads that uh, the NMRA puts out. You look at all that and the publishing and the so forth. So that all is, is a contribution to the hobby. If if that ever disappeared, does how much does that hurt the hobby? I would think a fair amount. You know, people don't realize that today, even though the standards are pretty well followed, they still really referee those standards and yeah. say to manufacturers, "Hey, come on, guys, you're not following this," and and it really protects us as model railroaders. So I think that. You know, I always have said this before that if you're into uh, prime example was uh, sound um, on DCC. At one point, um, a manufacturer said he owned all the patents for sound and nobody could use sound. Mm-hmm. And of course, the NMRA, we we actually had to go to court, if I remember correctly, to fight that, and and it, or or a patent office or. There was a legal challenge, and we won that and won the right that anybody could use the sound. So, I mean, you know, if somebody's looking for a reason just to join the NMRA, I mean, just as a as a uh, guardian of the hobby, you should join. Hmm. Uh, but uh, um, I think back to the the question: How do we get the board guys? They're they're looking at it as a business. They're looking, which it is, at at that level. Um, people think it's a hobby, but it's more than a hobby when you get to the board. It it is a business. It's nonprofit. They're not out to to make thousands and billions of dollars, on, uh, contrary to what a lot of people believe. But they have to protect the business. So at some point, you know, you have to be a little cautious of, of how you approach these things. So there is a fine balance there. But I think we need forward thinkers. Uh, Gordy, I think, is doing a good job. I I think he sort of understands that balance where when he can move and where maybe he can't because of the business. And, and he understands that. He's a very intelligent uh, young man. And I think he will be guided in a, in a direction that will certainly help us. Very good, Clark. Very good. Pleasure chatting as always. We have Mr. Eggering, and then I think I'll call this a show. But uh, it was wonderful, actually. I think I've already seen I, – I can't recall whether I've explicitly seen your workspace area or whether I just imagined what your workspace area was and it was confirmed at NMRAX to be as it was. I seem to recall – I knew that – I don't know. Maybe one time accident. I think maybe one time accidentally, you video skyped in on a call. 
Because well, I remember I, the skylight and this kind of thing. So it was very strange to actually see it and think, that's exactly the way I thought it was like. So. <laughs> well, I'm in a, I have a, uh, I call it the TV room. My wife calls it my uh, office and den. But so I have like a, a little small bedroom size room down in the basement uh, where I have my computer and my big TV so I can watch sports when it's on. And I, and my wife banished me down here to watch sports. Mm. And then uh, just down the hallway is uh, my layout room. So um, I'm kind of self-contained down here. <laughs> Your own bunker, and, uh, really. It's, and, it's yeah, Clark's my, bunker. My own bunker. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people have asked me or called me up and said, you know, how you doing? I go, well, fine. Why? Of course, being retired now, this is what I do in the winter. Mm. And uh, even though it's May 9th, we had snow overnight here for about an inch. So um, it's still winter here. <laughs> so I'm bunkered down. And one day, maybe you and I will just chat and I'll uh, give you a quick uh, tour of the uh, premises. Mm. That'd be very nice. Very nice. Something for the future. Something for the future, Clark Koenig. Pleasure chatting as always. I would say stay safe, but I know you're going to stay safe. Great yeah, chatting. I'm uh, hunkered down. I've got a bunch of Rockmore Rockmolds to do, and then uh, hopefully my order from Credit Valley will get here on Monday, and I can start painting rocks. So mm. anyway, have a have a, a great weekend, and to all uh, all our listeners, safe week, and we'll maybe talk to you next week. Terrific. Talk to you soon, Clark. Take care. Thank you. I would like to welcome on a gentleman who is never short of an opinion. Lawrence Eggering, obviously you've been to a bunch of different train shows. What are the what are the aspects that you hope in the future train shows will continue to have? Oh, I I I like um the the shows in Florida tend to have operating layouts as well as uh the purchasing aspect of it. And to see a bunch of guys with throttles in their hands and handing them to a five year old and saying, push this button and it blows the whistle on that steam engine or blows the horn on the diesel, I think is a is a excellent aspect of it. So I hope that continues. Um, I think, you know, we will see a change in the, the way things are handled. That throttle will probably get a quick shot of Lysol spray or something before it's handed around any anymore. But um, I'd love to see that continue. I would like to see an increase in the number of vendors again. I think... Mm. It used to be when you went to a train show, say, 15, 20 years ago, you know, mail order was big, but the Internet was just starting, if you will. And um, I can remember guys going to train shows with lists of, all right, I'm, I'm going to see, you know, Yankee Dabbler or Bob the Train Guy or whoever it was back then. And I need this, 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 and this. And I've called him and he's going to have it there. I think a return to that would be good. You know what I mean? Uh, the camaraderie of, of seeing your vendor face to face instead of a virtual type thing where it's a you fill out an order form and, and you know, online and pay with PayPal and they don't know you other than a an order. Yes. I, I, that part would be an, a nice thing to see return. Um, and I think just the, as I said earlier, the camaraderie, I mean, you, you would go to train shows to see guys you hadn't seen in six months, yeah. you know, or a year. And uh, so I, I hope that continues on as it does. And we don't get locked up in the fear of um, 
you know, killer wasps or whatever is yes. is around this week, you know. I mean, in uh, terms of, I mean, you talked a bit about reaching out to, or Ralph de Blasi reaching out to you, and you have a friend who you're still keeping connected with. Yeah. Are you doing a lot more communication? Are you doing a lot more video conferencing or just general calls through this period with other folks in the hobby? Yeah. Um, yeah, not just folks in the hobby, but friends I haven't seen in a long time. You know, uh, it's not really, it's been a downtime for me, but not really. My wife works in a, um, a retirement home. Mm. So she is, you know, and it's with very, very elderly people. Mm. So I'm still taking her to, to and from work. And, um, so I'm busy in that aspect. Plus people have said, Hey, since you're, we have nothing else to do. I'm finally getting these projects done. Will you work on this for me? So I've been actually quite busy. Interesting. Uh, And I've I've similarly been reaching out to people who've worked on projects for me previously, or I'm discovering. And yeah, it's, it's funny. The mailman is now my primary contact with the outside world. (laughs) Yeah. We've got him a $50 Starbucks card just to say thank you for being there. (laughs) Cause really, yeah, without the mailman, I would be completely isolated through this thing. I mean, obviously, you know, I do model where radio recordings, what have you. But yeah, the, the physicality of the packages is something that is very strange for this period. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, you know, I'm, I'm 63 years old, for those of you who don't know. And if you would have said to me last year, you're going to see the entire world shut down for a, a minimum of a 30 day period, I'd have said, you're smoking crack and you need to be drug tested. And, uh, <laughs> Yes. And and yet here we are. Yes. You know? And and it's, it's the it's the new normal. It's it is definitely odd. And I honestly thought when when the president started talking about this, I thought, well, there goes my business. I will have nothing to do, mm. you know? And I'm okay with that. I you know, at my age I could use a little of nothing to do. It doesn't please I love what I do for a living now as compared to being in the corporate world. And, uh, but it's definitely, um, I'm shocked that I'm still busy and I'm happy about it because I do get to see customers that are locked in and I'm more or less locked in. We are, uh, because of where my wife works, everything we do, we're, we're using most intense scrutiny about. Yeah about contacting people because we don't want to take this to somebody that's 85 or 90 years old, you know? And, uh, so, you know, my customers have been typically locked down and they know the scrutiny I'm doing. So there's no, no endangering ourselves, you know? And, uh, so it's been, yeah, it's been odd, but it's, uh, I find myself doing little, I call them putsy projects. (laughs) Um, things I, you know, you know, one day I'll get around to that. And, and now all of a sudden I'm around to that. Yes. So, um, it's, it's definitely different. I'm, I am enjoying the time. I really am. Uh, And, and as far as like, um, even this morning, Ralph and I reached out to each other on messenger and just said hello and, you know, how's things going and things like that. And Joe Travia and I talk a lot in a, uh, Jer- Jeremy um, Dumbler and his wife Kristen and I reach out to each other uh, almost on a daily basis. So there, 
And uh, there are people in my personal life over the years, a uh, fellow I went to boot camp in 1974 with, and uh, <laughs> he and I have reconnected. Yes. You know, so. Gosh. It's, it's kind of neat. And I, and I hope that um, that becomes the new norm, that we actually get so unbusy we care about each other again. Uh, without sounding preachy, I really do feel that way. Yes, I've I've been surprised, disappointed, and enthralled by aspects of this thing. And you mentioned the corporate world. I'm still thoroughly ensconced in that thing. But it's, in particular, my relationship with my wife has changed dramatically through lockdown, but very much for the better. I mean, not that there was any issue there previously, but the mindfulness of knowing that I'm with someone who is just so simpatico on so many different levels. I mean, we've had 18 years to kind of sand down the, the rough edges and what have you. But, yeah, it's it's fascinating, the things that are in net, probably net positive, as you say. Some negative, yeah. but net positive. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, that's the other thing. My wife and I in August will be celebrating our 40th anniversary. Gosh. Yeah, and, and she hasn't killed me yet. So. <laughs> I'm not so sure I wouldn't, but you know. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, Always even our fun. neighbors. Our neighbors. We uh, we've all been on lockdown, and about one night a week, we all gather around and have a you know. And it's it's a very small street. There's only ten houses on it, so uh, you know there will be a group of ten, twelve people, and we'll get together and just break bread together. Wonderful, you know. Wonderful. And uh, so it, that's been a nice. New normal, if you will, you know, speaking of Jeremy, <laughs> that that ring you heard was Jeremy. <laughs> I figured as much. Lawrence Egering, it has been a pleasure chatting as always. Hang in there. Stay safe. No doubt we'll talk in a, a week or two's time. Take care. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Quality, not quantity today. A wide variety of uh, of ideas and conversations. But yeah, pleasure recording these uh, Saturday morning shows. And for folks listening in, the editing, unfortunately, there's a bit of a backlog. You'll probably hear this in, in six to eight weeks' time based on that. I'm trying to work out how to get the editing done on these shows as well. But the quality of the conversations and the importance of the topics kind of demand that I continue to edit going forward. Thanks to everyone for uh, participating today. Thanks also for the folks listening in. Good morning. Good morning, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Good day, Tom. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. Good day. are talking about what the future of train shows will look like with the new normal being, I guess, whatever the new normal becomes. What are your thoughts associated with this? I really hadn't given it a lot of thought, but one of the things just from going to the grocery store and seeing 
a solid 90% of the people in the store wearing masks. I used to see that when I traveled in the Orient a lot. And I thought, how odd is that, that people would walk around with masks on? And I think that's going to be part of the new normal. I think train shows will probably continue. <sighs> There'll be that element that um, that will not wear the masks and and will probably be ostracized by many. Um, certainly not me, as long as you're not contagious. I really don't care if you wear a mask, you know. But um, I, to, to be honest with you, Tom, I hadn't given it much thought. Um, it will be a, a weird new normal, I'm, I'm sure of that. That was a non-answer, wasn't it? It was a non-answer with some belch thrown in there by Marco Dorney, so I'm not even sure if we're <laughs> going to use that audio. Let, let me restart this whole... Uh, let me help reset this whole conversation. Lawrence <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Lawrence> is... Smith. <laughs> Believe me. It can only go one way and that is down. Okay. I'll give you a chance to catch your breath, Lawrence. Okay, I'm all right. <clears throat> okay. Raising arms, breathing deeply. So as you listen into this conversation, 